What a comeback. With no Kyrie and KD and down 24 points, the Nets stormed back in Phoenix Tuesday night, closing the game on a 12-0 run to take down the Suns in a thriller. We'll be joined by the man who called that game on WFAN. It's longtime Nets radio voice, Chris Carino. We'll also chat with the post, Brian Lewis, about who else the Nets might try and add to the roster. All that and more is next on a four-game win streak edition of Full Court on Flatbush from the New York Post. The next stop is Barclays Center. Full Court on Flatbush. Flatbush Avenue. It's the podcast. A New York Post. BK. Most stars in the sky. The three. Welcome to Full Court on Flatbush. I'm your host, Robin Lundberg, alongside my co-host, former net number 30, Carrie Kittles. Subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts, but if you're using Apple, give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Nets longtime radio voice Chris Carino and beat writer Brian Lewis are going to join us later in the show. But first, Kerry, I want to tell you I'm in a good mood. My vibes are good right now. You want to know why? Yeah, yeah. What's up? Because we get to talk about a team that's going to be playing for the NBA championship. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I mean, they are. The, the Brooklyn Nets, as long as they're healthy, if the big three are out there, we, we could go defense, 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 and say all that stuff all the time. This team is so talented, and, and I, I think we're starting to see them get an identity now and, and leaning into some of that small ball aspect or getting more contributions from the role players. Maybe I'm just feeling good off last night, but Landry Shamit's played so much better. Tyler Johnson's working his way into the rotation, specifically Jeff Green. And Bruce Brown, those are the two guys. And, and Joe Harris, yeah. who's super a super role player at this point. But I, I do think, you know, the, the Nets are too dangerous for, for any team that they're going to face in the East. I'll pump the brakes on the Lakers just until I'll, I'll work my way there to that point. But when we're just talking about the, the Eastern Conference, this is a team that's going to be playing for that trophy. I always remember, Robin, you're talking to a former player, right? And so we know as former players, this is a marathon. So there's a lot of things that could take place. However, <laughs> all those reasons you just mentioned, I would have to agree that for Nets fans to definitely be optimistic about what the team is, is sort of looking like at this point. You know, we, we're getting a pretty good sample size of Harden now with the team, and we're, we're seeing the impact of Harden and what he's able to do offensively to, you know, complement those other two dominant scores and now being able to influence those role players. Give those guys even more confidence. You mentioned those guys off the bench. You know, Shamit now playing like we haven't seen Shamit play before, uh, shooting the ball more consistently. Jeff Green has just been so solid for this team throughout the season. He's just a reliable vet. Um, and now you have Tyler Johnson coming in. He started last night. A uh, young player who's just getting an opportunity and showing that he's ready. So in the East, they're in trouble. I, I, <laughs> you know, how are you going to slow down Kyrie and KD? Because Harden is really free, is going to free them up even more to just do what they do, which is dominate games, scoring the ball. The defense is always going to be a question, but I, I think they'll make up for it 
with the ability to just dominate teams scoring the ball. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Green may have been the, the signing of the offseason. Bruce Brown has brought everything they need in, in regards him. to, like, a, you know, going after loose balls, all Love that him. sort of stuff, that that mentality. But I, I did want to say, say really quickly, because you mentioned, you know, remember I'm talking to a former player. Is that to mean that your your uh, words are, are worth more than mine here on this program? No, 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 not, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> I like that. No, don't insinuate that. It was really just – Pumping a brace on the expectations, understanding that, man, it's a lot of things that could take place with trades. I mean, we just got to get past that deadline first. That's one obstacle because teams may shift some stuff happening and it may impact other teams in the East. But, uh, you know, it's like Kimba Walker, you know, I'm thinking about now in Boston, maybe getting traded. So let's let's wait and see. Yeah, I mean, look, we'll see how it develops. The Bucks are struggling right now. They they can't really score down the fourth quarter, down the stretch. That's been a problem for that team in, in the playoffs. Philly looks better this year. Ben Simmons has been maybe the best defensive player in the league. But, you know, the, the Nets' defensive issues, and, and I get it. We, we talk about it all the time. You know, if they're going to play small like they have, they're going to surrender some stuff at the rim, some second chances. But I, I think it's allowed them to play quicker. It's allowed them to switch. It's allowed them to open the floor on the offensive side. And to me, when I look at the fact that they, they're dominating the Western Conference, they're, they're dominating the good teams that they play, they're, they're dominating in national TV games. I'd be much more worried about all that stuff if it was the inverse of that, if they were beating the bad teams and struggling against the good teams. But they're beating every good team they play. That's not supposed to give me a predictive insight into how the playoffs might look. Yeah, yeah, listen, rightfully so. I, I agree with you. I mean, let's hear let's this week, right? We got Lakers and Clippers coming up, you know, next couple of games. So it's gonna be fun to watch, especially if we have all three guys in the lineup. But yeah, the Nets have done really well against those better teams. They've had their mental lapses. I'm still concerned about the turnovers that's sort of been there, lingering Achilles Hill. Um, and their and their defense, like you said before, the ability to switch when you're playing small ball is great. However, you just got to maintain that scrappy mentality when you're undersized in so many positions. Um, you know, you have forwards out there that are getting in there and banging. Got to just be consistently scrappy. If they can do that, I like this team in the, in the postseason. The Lakers will be without Anthony Davis, so that's not exactly a finals preview, if you will. But you, you did mention James Harden before, Kerry. And I want to point out a couple of things about Harden. And, and you know, the, the trade – what was it a, a month ago now? It feels like mm -hmm. a, about a yep. month a month ago. Yeah, January 14th, something like that. Yeah, yeah so I, I always thought you can get a player of his caliber, you do it. But he brought a couple things to the table that maybe were undersold a bit. One is he does something to a degree that is greater than both KD and Kyrie, and that's his playmaking. Like both those guys can do that to an sure. extent, but he is a, a natural born playmaker when he leans into that role as he has with the Nets. You know, I, I think it's, LeBron, Chris Paul, and Harden are probably the three guys I think see the floor best and set up their teammates the, the best. And you know what else he is? Reliable. James yes. Harden has never suffered a big injury, never been yes. out of the lineup for a long period of time, plays big minutes every night. So he's insurance against unexpected circumstances. Hey, you're right. And we criticized him when he first came to the Nets. Everyone was talking about his offseason and he putting on all those pounds. And I was just like, listen, you know, he's going to work those those extra calories off playing all these minutes early on with the Nets. And we see him now getting into a little bit of shape. He had a nice little dunk the other night coming down the lane. But, yeah, his ability to see the court and distribute the ball. I mean, you mentioned LeBron and, and, and Chris Paul. I would say Luka Doncic is in that, is in that category as well. And, obviously, um, the center for, for the Nuggets. But, uh, man, Jokic, he, yeah. 
But Harden is in that elite group with being able to destroy defenses because you got to respect his scoring ability, which means from the three-point line and beyond, you got to be on him and in his space. But then when he drives the lane, he sees guys around the rim. He throws those lob passes. He scoops, scoops it in there to DeAndre Jordan. He throws a weak side pass, you know, without even looking seamlessly. The ball in his hands primarily on offense I mean, it's it's a tough cover for most defenses, and he relishes in that role. He embraces it. I mean, it's he didn't do it as much in his in his tenure in, in Houston, but now we're seeing a, a complete basketball player all around on offense on the offensive end. It's fun to watch. Yeah, I just want to see the big three together a little bit more, right? We we haven't had a chance to see them. They've only played. I think they've only lost one time when they've all been on the, the court together. One of those Cavs games, but they've mm-hmm. only played like six or, or seven games together right now. You know, KD has the hamstring and, and had the health and safety protocols, and Kyrie, you know, was on his sabbatical, and and then the lower back tightness against the Suns. But when Harden's out there with those guys, there's just you know, there's a reason the Nets have been so good in the fourth quarter. Because you just can't, you cannot guard them. When people say, are they just going to outscore people? Yes, that is what they are going to do. They are going to outscore you because KD can score from anywhere on the floor. Harden can set things up and hit step back threes and get to the cup. And, and Kyrie's as skilled as any player has ever played the game. Yeah, I, I agree. And and if the if you're playing against the Nets and you plan on beating them shooting jump shots, forget about it. Because like you said, they're going to come back on the other end and they're going to score on you with those guys on the court. Today's game, as I said before, today's game is so open, right? And a driving kick game and you're swinging the ball to who? Kyrie Irving, where he's going to be in his bag on you <laughs> on ISO situations. He's, he's going to get any shot he wants. Then you throw it to KD, you swing it to KD. He's another major problem. You can't help. You got to stay home. And then you have Joe Harris out there. He's a, he's a sniper from anywhere beyond the arc. So that, they have so much court space. It's almost impossible to guard them. And then you have Harden driving and penetrating. He draws fouls. He finds the role guy. It's, I mean, it's it's so hard to stop. I'm just thinking if I was trying to guard them, what would I do? I, I don't know. I'd be yelling, sub, sub, get someone else in the game because it's it's a nightmare. And, guys, can we throw some some flowers to Tyler Johnson? He looks like he just got out of Woodstock in, like, 1969 <laughs> with his hair. Everything about this guy. He makes a couple clutch threes in Phoenix last night. He's fun to watch, and, and you know, his whole story where he was on the offer sheet for the Nets, he probably got overpaid where he got that $48 million contract. Now he's making, like, whatever, the league minimum. He had a big uh, contribution, and he's one of those players down the stretch might make some key shots in playoff games off the bench. Well, he's worked I, his way up, right? And, and you need those guys, yeah. Kerry, right? You need those role players. Right? You know, we, We've been wondering who they're going to be, and, and start, some of those guys are starting to, to stake claim for those roles. Yeah, they, they're going to be fighting for those minutes. I mean, TLC, Shamit. Brown, I mean, those wing guys are all at a different element to the game. But this guy's been on ice for a while. He just, that goes to show you, he's got a pure, pure shot. I mean, technique, all these young basketball fans out there, if you want to learn how to be a great player, your technique needs to be consistent. This kid is just a driller. And I, I love him. Comes in the game, the other game, it was two minutes ago in the game. I forgot which game it was. And it was just like bang, bang, eight points, like in a drop of a dime. So, I like his addition. I love his confidence. The Nets now are, you know, we talk about trying to change their their lineup and, and, and make more additions. I don't know. They may already have it right there. All right, Kerry, I got to know. So Tuesday fans are back at Barclays Center. I don't even think you're able to get in. I mean, you're one of the Nets legends. I mean, it's going to be hard. Have you figured out? Can you can you hook up me and Robin? Because at this point, I'm going to pay 200 a pop to go to either MSG or Barclays Center. 
Nah, I don't think it could happen. I think it's, I mean, the league right now with those tight protocols, it's not going to happen. Let's just watch it on TV. Have your popcorn there. No, home. it's Talk not. I've been watching it on TV for a year. The whole point is the atmosphere, Gary. Listen, you want to be able to have tickets to go to the playoffs. So let's just hope yeah. that it goes from 3,000 or 1,500 to full capacity by mm-hmm. July. That would be awesome. It may be easier to get into Barclays Center than it is to guard the Brooklyn Nets at this very moment in time. Upcoming schedule for the Nets, the Lakers. You can hear me rubbing my hands yes, together right like now. That. I'm looking forward to it. Then, then you got the Clippers, which also can be a, a finals preview. And then the Sacramento Kings, that game against the Suns, reminded a lot of people about the game against the Kings a couple years back with fans at Barclays Center. The man who was on the call for both of those games joins us next here on Full Court on Flatbush. We're joined now by a familiar voice, at least if you're a Nets fan, and we're assuming you, most of you are, Chris Carino, the longtime radio play-by-play voice for the Brooklyn Nets. Of course, games could be heard on WFAN. And, and Chris, I was checking your, your Twitter earlier, and that's at Chris Carino on Twitter, and, and I saw you, you post an immediate reaction to last night's game, the, the comeback win over the Suns, and you've done so many games over the years that I'm sure most of them don't inspire that sort of reaction. But considering how many you've done, where does last night kind of rank in the the, the memorable ones? Oh, man, yeah. I, I, I got in the car last night, and I just – I, I was still so wired up. I, I couldn't I couldn't calm down. I had to get more off my chest. And uh, even though I just done a post-game show, it was a memorable night. It, it certainly harkened back to a couple of years ago in Sacramento when the Nets came back from, uh, you know, 25 down in the fourth quarter. Uh, it, you know, there, there are a handful of games you remember in regular season. You know, a lot of most of the post-game, post-season games, I can recall all of them, but those regular season games, I mean, you go back, man, I think of like a the Nash kid duel in 06. And again, that Kings game I mentioned, these are ones that, that you will remember for years. And that was certainly uh, certainly one of those nights last night. You've been around the, the Nets forever, really, uh, since since the 90s. You, you've done you've done the play-by-play since 2001, 2002. So you, you've seen it all. But I, I get that we're all thankful for our jobs in this sort of industry, right? But how different has it been since this version of the team came together after, you know, however many years before that? Yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes I see a lot of stuff on social media. People will say to me, oh, it's great that you finally have a good team, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, well, the notion that over the last 20 years that I've been calling games over this barren landscape is not really true. You know, you mentioned I go back to 0102 with Kerry Kittles, and I've been through the NBA Finals twice like Kerry was, and you know, I've called a couple hundred playoff games over my time. You know, they haven't had a lot of success in Brooklyn, but they've gotten to the postseason. This is different because it's just it's such an amazing group of superstar athletes, and when you have Harden, Kyrie, and KD together, it, it's funny because I feel like in New York it doesn't get the same attention that it does around the rest of the country and the world. I mean, if you if you listen to some of the national broadcasts or you go on Sirius Radio and you hear their NBA station. I mean, it's it's like the Nets dominate the conversation. So there's been great teams. But I savor and cherish the privilege of calling this team right now. Anytime there's a high expectation level, you know, anytime there's a kind of talent where games like last night are made possible because you have incredible talent. 
And what happens with the Nets now, and I know the three of them haven't been together that much, but when when Kyrie has to miss a game or KD has to get put on the shelf for a couple of days, well, then you still have James Harden. You know, if you walked into that game last night and they said, well, Kyrie and KD aren't playing, well, back in December, that would be like, oh, man, here comes the, the bubble Nets, you know, the shoulda, coulda, woulda Nets. Could they, you know, somehow do something? But no, we walked into that game last night going, well, I still get to watch James Harden tonight. And I think that's the way it is for the opponent, too. You know, they never get a break. Even in a game where the three of them are playing, you never get time where one of them is off the floor. So, man, it's uh, it, it really is. I, I, I wake up every day enthusiastic about going to work. You know, that's the case whether or not they're a 12-win team or a championship contender. But the privilege of seeing these guys night in and night out is amazing. And, and I can't wait to see what we've got in store the rest of the year. How you doing, Chris? This is Kerry Kittles. Uh, nice to chat with you. And so you, you mentioned uh, in your remarks the barren landscape. And I could only think about when, when I was, you know, a young net, and uh, and you st- and you first started covering us, and we were in the swamp. <laughs> and so you've gone from being covering the games in the swamp, and then you went over to to Newark for a couple of years, following the Nets, and now you're in Brooklyn. And talk about that. Just just being in that building. I know as a as a fan now, getting a chance to to visit uh, the arena a couple of times a year, watching the team play. I'm just like, wow, I wish I had played in that building in, in front of those fans. Like, what is that experience like covering the game now from, from being in the swamp? Um, we had some really good teams, you know, uh, finals teams, in, but still it was a dead environment. It was just no energy. But now you're... You're, you're getting a chance to see. Well, no, first of all, first of all, Carrie, you're one of my favorite all-time Nets. And I will say this, though. You know, Game 5, Indiana 2002, that was not dead, right? Yeah, when that's, that building that's the playoffs, up, though. Right? That's the playoffs. Yeah, the regular, no, I know you're regular On a I know. Tuesday night, a Tuesday night in the swamps, it was dead. I mean, yeah, it, no, and I And we were fun. I, we were scoring like 90-something <laughs> points a game back then was a lot. It was yeah. No, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. The, the thing that the team does get now, and this helps the organization and the franchise, is that, it's become a destination, just as you point out uh, how exciting it is to be there, what a, what a beautiful arena it is. Yeah, even that random, you know, we always pick on Tuesday. Maybe we could say Wednesday, you know, maybe we could say a Monday night against the Memphis Grizzlies. It was not, get, you know, you'll still get a decent crowd in Brooklyn. Um, and it's still, though, it's funny because I'm, I'm doing these road games now because of COVID from Brooklyn at the arena, at Barclays Center. So we're sitting in our normal spot watching the game on a monitor. That's how we do these road games. So I'm there every day, every game. And there is a little energy, even when the place is empty now. You know, you're playing in empty arenas. I got to say a couple of things about for Kerry Kittles, though, but before we go any further, because there are a couple of things I, I have to I have to let the world know about Kerry. First of all, I'm really sorry to see your, you were second on the all-time threes list. And Joe Harris passed you last night and all the excitement. I don't know if that was as big a story as maybe it should have been. That Joe Harris passed you for second place on the Nets all-time three-point shooting. So I'm sorry that you, you have to slip to third place. So that was one thing I wanted to get out there. Kerry, your thoughts, your thoughts on that, Kerry? Losing your spot in the top spot. Uh, it's, it's all good. I mean, you know. The records are meant to be broken. Go ahead. <laughs> I find, see, I, I'm a silver lining guy, and I think being in the top three is still pretty good. 
you know. Uh, the other part of it, the humility of Kerry Kittles. I remember I, I saw you in Brooklyn a few years back, and I don't know, maybe we were talking to some season ticket holders or something, and it was at the time Boyan Bogdanovich was chasing you for the rookie record for threes yep. made. I remember and that. I pointed it out to some people, and, and you being as humble as you are, you actually pointed out to the people we were talking to that, well, your rookie year, they had brought the NBA experimented by bringing the end, the three point line a little closer, right? Do you remember that? Yep. It, oh, they yeah. They brought it to like a couple of feet closer. So you were like, yeah, so it wasn't really that hard to make all those trees. But I was like, no, I, you're selling yourself short here, Kerry, but you, you are a humble, you're a humble person. You know, uh, Chris, you stole my thunder a little bit because I, I have a running bit where I, I like to um, have people praise Kerry because, you know, he's he's low key and he, he gets a little, I think, uh, embarrassed about it, but people love him so much and, and you just went ahead and did it. I mean, keep going. Well, here's another one. Here, here's another one that I'll uh, that I'll embarrass Terry with oh, is to go to go back to the the O three finals against the Spurs. Game six, Terry Kittles is on fire. The Nets have a sixteen point lead in the third quarter. Listen, I, I personally I love Byron Scott, but this is not his finest moment as the coach. He used to kind of coach to the clock. You know, and his substitution patterns were sort of like to the clock and not as much a feel. And Kerry knows exactly what I'm doing. Kerry was on fire and Byron stuck him on the bench, cooled him off. Spurs went on a 19-0 run, bridging the third and fourth quarter, and Spurs win that game. Otherwise, I think the Nets forced the game seven in the finals that year. Am I am I accurate there, Kerry, or am I delusional? I, I think, yeah, you, you, you're pretty accurate. It may have been game five. <laughs> it was in San Antonio. That's right, that's right. And Kerry, you were just yeah. shaking your head, so clearly you were not happy that Byron Scott put you on the bench. <laughs> well, I just remember after the game, Jay Kidd was like, where the hell were you? And I was like, where the hell was I? Don't you know the clock? It's like, it wasn't my time to get back in the game. And he was just so fuming after that. It was, But that's the way it was back then. Yeah, there's some there's some interesting times. You know, covering the 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 team so so often over the years, Chris. Uh, Radio is a little different than TV, right? Um, yeah, you TV, everybody's seeing it. Radio, you're you're letting everybody know what's happening. You're you're telling the story. You know, when when you call those games, which players have made that job the easiest to sort of tell the story of the game as you're you're watching it and conveying it to the listener? It, it's funny because the the most exciting players, the great players. On radio, you have to be descriptive, right? You want to try and paint an accurate picture of what's going on in your listener's mind. The greatest players to watch are often the hardest players to describe because they'll do things that you don't anticipate. When you're doing radio play-by-play, you're trying to describe it. You're trying to stay on the ball. You're trying to, you almost are anticipating what's going to happen so that you can stay really on top of it. But, you know, Jason Kidd would do things that you, I mean, if Kerry was playing with him. I mean, Kerry didn't know what he was going to do sometimes when he'd take it to the basket or throw a pass where he's not looking or thread it through two defenders. So, you know, when Kyrie Irving is Euro-stepping through three defenders and coming under the rim and using English off the window to kiss it in, I mean, those things are, it's hard to describe on the fly, you know? When James Harden has got that low crossover into the fadeaway, I mean, and there are just certain things that they make it exciting, and I love calling those guys, and they, they're challenging to make those calls. So, you know, I remember, you know, we talk about sometimes, you know, I, I worked the games with Tim Capstraw and Tim and I have this, you know, we've been working together for 19 years and 
we have a chemistry and we have a rhythm together and he understands the, the medium and he knows uh, what space I need. I know what space he does. I try and get everything in very quickly and they give him a, a window to get in in between plays. And But we talk about this all the time, you know, when we have up-tempo teams, you know, especially this team now that regularly will score into the 130s. That can be a little tiring for the play-by-play guy. You know, it seems like the better a team is offensively, the more exciting it is for us to call, but the harder it is. He'll say sometimes, like, I can hear it in your call if the ball is moved. Sometimes, you know, a team is stagnant. You can hear it in my play-by-play. But when the ball is popping around and I can hardly keep up with it, that's when you know that the team is going well and gelling offensively. The Kerry Kittles teams years ago, I mean, they used to play, you know, want to get it up in transition and Jake Kidd leading the way and Richard and Kerry on the on the on the wings and Kenyon running the basket. Those were really exciting teams to call, but they were really challenging from a play by play standpoint, you know, getting up and down the floor. I gotta I gotta keep up my uh my endurance. Let's talk about expectations, right? I mean, um, you, you mentioned like those early seasons, my first year, the finals team, we were really good. We didn't have many expectations coming in that year, right? Jason Kidd's first year, um, I came back from injury. I mean, we were just like a new team and it was in first time playing with Byron Scott as the head coach. And now you have this, this team, right? With these three, everything is built around these three superstars, but the expectations are through the roof, right? Everybody wants to see these nets in the finals going up against the Lakers possibly. What do you see? You know, it's a, it's a pretty decent sample size now with these three guys. We know that they're continuing to struggle for most of the season on defense. That's been the biggest topic of discussion around this team. But throughout all this adversity that, that they're facing with COVID and guys missing games, how do you see this team you know, faring out at the end when it comes down to it, like coming out the East? Yeah. You know what, Kerry? I, I always, so many people have asked me this year, you know, in interviews or just conversation with people, wow, this has got to be the most expectations or the, the greatest team you've ever had a chance to call coming into the season. And I always refer back to my first year and that it was Jason Kidd's first season. And I said, the expectation level, I thought year two for me, you know, after, after your team went to the finals in 0102, the following year was where I think the expectation level was similar to what it was coming into this season. Because the first year, as you mentioned, nobody expected it. You guys won 26 games the year before. And then Kid comes in and nobody thinks you're going to the finals, right? I mean, it was like, you guys may know. And it, Jay, I know Jay Kidd walked into the room before the start of the season and said, you know, we're not losing here. Like, we're going to win games. But, so you guys had a high expectation level, but the rest of the world didn't. It was almost like they didn't believe it. You know, I felt like you guys went and people were like, yeah, but then you get to the finals, you know, you lose to Kobe and Shaq and their third straight and, you know, but then the next year it was like, all right, well, you guys should get back to the finals. You make the trade for Matumbo. It's like, you know, you, you guys should get back to the finals. So I have lived in a world where the Nets were expected to get to the finals, but this felt different because this was this team going into this season. There was no history and yet they had the expectation level. They had not done anything to warrant it. All they had done was on paper to warrant this expectation level of getting the NBA finals. And and there's a there's a certain pressure that comes along with it. And then you go out and get James Harden, and now you've ramped it up to another level. And I think the Nets went all in to meet those expectations. You know, we go back to talking about how when you had two guys, when you had KD and Kyrie, if 
one of them were to go down, if two of them were to go down, now you're really stuck, right? You don't have that other guy to play through. But now you've got a third guy. So there's a little bit of insurance there. And if you get them all three going, man, you know, look out. So they've raised their internally, they've tried to meet those expectations. When I look at the way they play defense against Phoenix in the second half, with the way they play defense for a five-minute stretch of the third quarter against Sacramento, the game before, when you look at the way they defended Steph Curry and the Warriors to start this road trip, there there's tape to show you how they have to play in order to be a championship-level team. And you know it, Terry, you you need to defend. Now, they don't need to be the 85 Bears. I always use that thing, you know, because it's kind of synonymous with great defenses in sports, right? They don't need to be maybe a top five overall defense. But they've got to be in the top half, right? And I think we're seeing that they have that potential to guard when they need to. And now you just need to see it over an extended period of time. And I think, you know, this year, you mentioned, you also touched on it, Terry, with the COVID. Not a lot of time to practice. And, you know, defense is something that, especially the way they want to play it, it takes some communication and some growth and some teamwork. And and another big part of it is everybody talked about sacrifice on the offensive end when Harden came along and, you know, there aren't enough basketballs and how will they sacrifice for each other? The real sacrifice comes on the defensive end. And the thing about on the offensive side, when you sacrifice your teammates, it's sort of like the pressure's coming off you. You know, you don't have to carry the load offensively. Other guys are there to share it with you. On the defensive side, that you have to sacrifice for your teammates by playing with more effort, with playing with more concentration, you know, being able to scram that switch, you know, get, you know, fix the switch, as Steve Nash would say, knowing when to do it, communicating with your guys. Hey, DeAndre Jordan's got to know, I got to, I got to let them know that I'm going to come up here in the pick and roll so that the weak side health defender can come over and take away the role, man. Like it takes more effort on the defensive end. And I think that effort is what is going to decide whether or not they can be a championship team. You get the pleasure to call those games. Uh, Chris Carino, Nets play-by-play man on the radio for WFAM. And Chris, you also have the, the Chris Carino Foundation for FSHD, which I know is a particular type of uh, muscular dystrophy that, that you've suffered with. Can you tell us a little bit uh, about the foundation? Yeah, I have this type of muscular dystrophy. Uh, I was diagnosed in my 20s, and it was something you could live with early on. You never really realize or maybe don't want to know how much it's going to progress and get worse. And even a foundation aside, what I've learned in life and, and how you have to maintain your relationships and be good to people because when you need it down the road, how you are and how you live your life as a person, you'll be rewarded from it and by it. And and then needing the kind of help and support from people as I get older is just heartwarming for me and something that I've I've learned through living through a challenging uh, disability. And you know, it was about ten years ago. You know, I'd always had it in my mind that you know one day when I make a little more of a name for myself in the media, I can uh, I can try and help people that are going through the same thing as me with this disease. And you know, I kind of research what was going on in the in the research field and what was needed, and decided with you know a little bit of a push from my family and my wife Laura that you know hey I've I've made a little bit of a name here and we can raise some money and we can do some good things. So we started the foundation, and it's one of the more challenging and rewarding things that. I I've ever that I've ever done in my life and we've we've funded over a million dollars in research over the years and we've 
contributed to breakthroughs in this field that, you know, scientists are hopeful in the next probably five years that we could have some sort of a, a treatment that can, can help at least maybe stop the progression or, or slow down the progression of the disease that didn't exist, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So I'm proud of that. And uh, it's been challenging for us in COVID times, like, like everybody else in, in nonprofits, because you can't have your fundraisers and things like that. But if anybody's interested in finding out more or want to donate, it would be great. ChrisCarinoFoundation.org. And uh, I appreciate you letting me uh, have the time to talk about it. ChrisCarinoFoundation.org. As he mentioned, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Carino. And of course, you can hear him on the radio crawling Brooklyn Nets games. Chris, we really appreciate the time today. Well, Robin and Terry and Jake, I, I really appreciate you having me on. This is uh, These are fun times for Nets fans. But uh, I, I, what I'm glad is I got to reminisce with Kerry yes, because yes. Those, were, those were fun times as well. Chris, you've come a long way since uh, Nets slamming planet with Evan Roberts and my old co-host Scoop B. Wow. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Nets slamming planet. You know, we used to do that out of the Radio Disney years ago wow. how about that am 1560 oh i love that yes. all, all the hits yeah. we know it we know it goes back carrie was talking about scoring 95 points a game and that being a lot <laughs> <laughs> oh man well carrie carrie would have imagine the amount of the attempts that carrie would have had for behind the arc if he played in, in now he probably would average another 10 points a game right oh my god uh, easily might have built my might have added a few more rooms to that compound that he's got. Joe Harris wouldn't wow. have broke his record last night. I know that for sure. That's for sure. That wouldn't happen. <laughs> All right, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, All right, man. fellas. Thanks. We're joined now by the Post-Nets beat writer. You can follow Brian Lewis on Twitter at NYPost underscore Lewis. And, and Brian, you know, I, I love asking you these kind of questions because you're obviously around the team all the time. But after the game... Steve Nash described the mood as vibes, just vibes. So how are the vibes around this Brooklyn Nets squad right now? The vibes are good. I mean, this is a team where, and he he touched on it after the game, you have a star-studded team, three, you know, outsized personas, and other guys can tend to get lost in the glow from those guys. But when you have wins like you did last night, coming down from two dozen digging in defensively, and the bench guys or role players, whatever you would want to call them, coming up big and feeling like they are a part of that and showing that they can be counted on in big moments, that's the kind of things that kind of helps a team's cohesiveness. How much of that has been in response to the Detroit game and all the noise, or how much of that has been organic, you think? I think it's a little of both. I mean, I think Steve got in them after that Detroit game, justifiably so. Also, you got to remember, they never get an opportunity to practice. I mean, and that's not just unique to them. I mean, that's that's everybody in the league. But it's less of a problem when you're, I don't know, the Bucks or the Lakers or a team that's running it back. You know, this team had a new coach, new system. I think this was their 20th different lineup <laughs> that they've used, which is a league high. So when you get all of those type of situations, you need practice time. So they've actually probably been on the court more practicing in the last week and I'm including shoot-arounds now because they didn't shoot around until these the two games prior to this. They've been on the court outside of games probably more in the last week than they had been in the entire time that they've had James Harden. So I think that also helps when you get an opportunity to kind of dig in and get into what you're supposed to be doing and your your basics. I think that also helps. 
What, what do you see, Brian, uh, coming up with these two big games against the Lakers and the Clippers? Two big statement games, especially at this point in the season where they have a four-game win streak coming into it. I mean, the Nets have shown they've they've been ready to play against the bigger name teams and the <laughs> and the teams that are leading divisions and are up there, you know. But uh, how do you see this team in these next couple of games? That's exactly probably what I wanted to touch on. I mean, granted, you know, we don't know what the health of KD and Kyrie is going to be, but they've shown that they will show up against the teams that they're fully engaged for. You know, the Clippers, the Celtics, et cetera. The Buc- these teams, they don't have a problem getting up for. The problem is they tend to come out and sleepwalk against some of the teams that they maybe don't take as seriously. I think they'll be obviously fully engaged playing LeBron. The question to me is more, well, what do you do on a trap, supposed trap game? What do you do against those teams that aren't of that caliber? I think they'll be fully engaged for these games, and I think they'll play well. Now, is that enough to win if you don't have KD and Kyrie? I don't know. What do you think about the, uh, Harden as, as of late? I mean, obviously, he's the one that had to make the biggest transition, I thought. And then the comments from Kyrie about really accepting his role this week, right? Like, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and just get buckets. I don't have to worry about distributing the ball. Now, I'm the point guard thing. The point guard is Harden. We'll let him be the playmaker, and I'll just come out and get buckets. And it seemed to loosen the team the last couple of games. And and Harden is just really excelling with the ball in his hands and just embracing this this role the Nets are really counted on him to, to be for them. I would say one Harden. Remember, Kyrie was out when Harden showed up, so the ball went into Harden's hands anyway as the point guard. Two, I would say justifiably so because James Harden is a better point guard than Kyrie Irving. Three, I agree, it frees Kyrie to do what he does best, which is get in his bag and go after people. Four, it's interesting that Kyrie will acknowledge, okay, maybe we're better suited that way. Five, I would say the way Harden's playing, who knows? You know, we get a lot of KD, justifiably so, gets a lot of love as an MVP candidate. The way Harden's playing, who knows? You know, maybe justifiably so, he should be getting some of that love as an MVP candidate. It's a guy who averaged over two dozen shots two years ago. I think maybe 22 and change last year. And He's quite happy getting 14 and going back to leading the league in assists like he used to. You know, uh, Brian, before we talk about any of the the possible additions and everybody's been talking about a big man, I kind of have seen this team embrace its identity as of late, and that's as a smaller team, which I think is the right move. I think they're better defensively when they're switching everything like that. And, and of course, I think it opens the floor for the, the three guys that we talk about all the time. So has that been something that, that's been conscious from the coaching staff and, and the team? Because even when Jordan – he started uh, last night, I believe, but – a couple of games ago, he was back and, and didn't start. They've used Bruce Brown. They've used Jeff Green in those swing roles. Have they thought about that as their identity, a, a small spread team? I think even from the day that they signed Jeff Green, it became obvious, at least to me, that sooner or later, Jeff Green was going to start supplanting those stretch five minutes. One, he's more switchable, right? And when teams are going to – I'm not even talking offensively. I'm even talking defensively. He was going to allow you to be more versatile. And that's been arguably their best lineup. So, yeah, I think they are more and more embracing that. Now, could they use a seven-foot rim protector? Yes, because, you know, you're greedy, right? You're a Roman. You want to win them all, right? So, yes, obviously, that would make them better if they could get it. 
But as the team is currently constituted, yes, I think you're better off embracing that small ball role. And I think Bruce Brown, I think that's almost icing on the cake. I don't know that Steve really knew what he had with this guy. I I mean, I'm an unabashed Bruce Brown fan. I think what he does for you in terms of defense, in terms of physicality, in terms of being a 6'2 guy who sets screens and then roll, I think once you start figuring out ways to use him uniquely to batter somebody over the head, I, I think they've lucked into something. I think they have a little something there. Now, as far as the roster, they they waived uh, Pell. They brought in Vonley and, and Robertson. It seems Drummond is less likely given the, the, the trade rumors. But, I mean, what have you heard? Who are, are some potential targets? What do you think they're trying to, to do to bolster, to, to be greedy? Right. Well, I've never thought that Drummond was likely. I mean, there are obviously things that you monitor because that's the way, as you know, Sean operates. They get in on everything. They call everybody on everything just because they don't like to be caught unawares. They're very active. But I don't think it's likely. I think what's more likely, you know, I think I always thought JaVale McGee was more likely if he gets bought up. I always thought, I still think maybe I'm not guaranteeing that this would happen. But if Looney is available to be traded for, you know, somebody of that ilk, I think they'll sit on their exceptions. And if somebody gets bought out and you can swoop in and get them off the market, that's something they would love to do. But I never thought that was likely to be Drummond. I think, yeah, I think McGee, if he gets bought out, I think Looney, if you can get him at a good price, I think those type of guys are probably more likely. Brian Lewis does a great job covering the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Post for us here at the New York Post. Of course, full court on Flatbush and New York Post podcast. You can follow Brian on Twitter, NYPost underscore Lewis. Brian, appreciate the time as always. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. The next stop is Barclays Center. Flatbush Avenue. That puts the icing on the cake for episode nine, the Tibete Luwalu Cabarro edition of Full Court on Flatbush, our Brooklyn Nets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camarada for producing the show. Subscribe to Full Court on Flatbush on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. Write a nice review there. We appreciate your support all season long, and the season is going to be a long one. The Nets going deep into the postseason. For Kerry Kittles, I'm Robin Lundberg. We return to your eardrums next Wednesday. Stay safe, stay warm, stay healthy, and thanks for listening to Full Court on Flatbush. Peace.